Are you guys excited to have a day off school? I would be too. Like Pastor Jason said, I actually get to head out to Colorado for our break. So we're, we're definitely excited about that. But before we get started, I want to say a couple things. Um, just as Pastor Jason was saying, um, we're going to be talking about the gospel today. And there's obviously no way that I could go through every single element or aspect of the gospel. In some ways, as in my study, I almost wonder if I'm going to create more questions than give answers. And that's totally okay. This is something that even well-seasoned people who have been following God for a long time need to be studying a lot of. Um, just like Pastor Jason said, I, I am going to be speaking from the Bible, so everything that you hear tonight comes from His Word. It's not really my own opinion, so if you have questions about that, definitely take note of the references that are um, either on the screen or that I reference. And then um, I've also used this book, um, What is the Gospel, in my study, and so a lot of this stuff is uh, from there. It's only about 100 pages, so very easy read. We also did get a uh, track or a little pamphlet for everyone here, so at the conclusion of tonight or tomorrow, um, we'll hand these out, and this kind of gives an overview of what the gospel is. It can be easy for you to review on your own or even uh, share with a friend. Um, but I want to go ahead and start with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump right in. God, thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your love and God, I know that this topic is of most preeminence, it's most important, and so God, I just ask that you would speak through me, help me to speak clearly, and just ask that you would open the hearts of the uh, teens and adults in this room to learn more about you because of your great love. In your name I pray these things, amen. Well, I want to tell you a story, and this story takes place back when I was about seven or eight years old. I was laying in bed one night. And I don't think many seven or eight-year-olds do this, but I was laying in bed thinking about my soul's eternal destiny. Have you ever done that? Yeah, it's kind of weird. But that's what I was doing one night, and I was kind of thinking, I, I want to make sure I know where my soul is going to go when I die. I need to make sure it's of most importance. And so I remember going down the hallway to my parents' room, kneeling down at their bed and praying and asking that Jesus would forgive me of my sin, that he would come into my life and save me. And I really believe at that point, I became a child of God. I started following God. And the topic we're talking about tonight, the gospel, is cool because a child can understand it. It's so simple, even a child can understand. But it's also so complex, and it has some serious implications. Now, when I say complex, I don't mean complicated, because complicated implies that it's difficult or hard. But it is complex. There's a lot of different elements. So even a child can understand it. God doesn't make it hard to understand, but it is complex. And then there's some serious implications. Because whether you've heard it before or not, you are going to make a choice. You either choose to believe what's being presented, and your life has changed drastically because of the belief that you have, or you either never hear about it, which you guys won't have that because you're here tonight, but there are those that don't hear or choose not to believe, your life is drastically different. It's a turning point once you hear the gospel. Now, there's going to be three points tonight. We're going to talk about what the gospel is, we're going to talk about what it isn't, and we're also going to talk about how it applies to us. And when I was thinking about talking to all of you tonight, I was um, going through, like, what should I say, how should I say it? And I thought of, maybe I should tell them what it isn't first, what the gospel isn't, before I get into what the gospel is. But then I started thinking about 
counterfeit bills. So I worked at, I've worked at Kohl's for like 14 years part-time, and the first seven years I was at the cash register. So if you've ever worked a job where you have to take money, you got to be careful because you don't want to be taking fake bills in. You get a fake 100 and you're in trouble. Like, so you got to make sure you study and know. Now they do have pens that can help out, but sometimes when things are going quick, you just need to know right away. And you don't learn how to spot a counterfeit bill by studying counterfeit bills. You study what the real, authentic bill looks like. So if I have a $100 bill, that's what I'm actually looking at, and I study all the different designs and things. And that's how I learn how to spot the counterfeit. My wife and I enjoy watching a TV show called White Collar. Has anyone ever heard of that or seen that, a couple of you? Okay, it was on TV, you know, about eight, ten years ago, but it follows this guy who is an art forger. He's been a thief, and he's also forged things. And so they use him to help spot other forgeries and things. And the, way, the reason he's so good at what he does is he studied how the originals of all these pieces of art and other things were made. And then because he knows the original so well, he's then able to identify what's fake, what's a forgery. And so you learn how to spot a counterfeit by studying the original, not the fake. So we're going to start with what the gospel is. And it comes from the Greek word angelion, which means good news. So easy answer. If somebody says, what's the gospel? It literally means good news. And in the Bible context, we'd say the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, when thinking about the gospel, I, I found in this book and other places, it's easy to break it down into four categories or four parts of the gospel. There's God, man, Christ, and response. God, man, Christ, and response. If you've looked at the wordless book before, I even have those colors here. It would be the gold, black, red, and white colors that all tell the same thing. So first, let's start with God. Now, first thing we know about God is he's the creator. If you look at the very beginning of the Bible, very first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so God, there's only one of them, only one God, he created everything. And they actually... The Bible tells us of seven different divisions of time, seven days, where he created things. And on the sixth day, after he finished creating all the animals, he said, I want to have a creation in my own image. And so he created mankind. Now, something to recognize here, we already identified there's only one God. So when God wants to have a relationship or hang out with somebody, who does he hang out with? Well, there's no one else like him, so he has no one. So he said, let's make mankind in our image. He decided to make men and women in his image so that he could have a relationship with us. Isn't that pretty cool? We weren't just accidents. I don't know if how you learn it in school or how you've heard it. Other people say, ah, there's no real intelligent design in our creation. No, God created us with the purpose and desire to actually know us and have a relationship with it. He's not just some far-off being that doesn't care or doesn't know. He knows you in, by name. And because of that, he so desperately wants us to have a relationship with him. Now, another thing to know about God is he's both loving and righteous, loving and just. Um, let's look at, it should be up on the screen, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, it says, 
The Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. So there's a lot of words in there. We're not going to go through every single one of them. But this talks about who God is. And this is really cool because if you ask most people, say, tell me about God. You say, God is a loving God. And that's good. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Look at all these things. He is forgiving. He's compassionate. He overlooks our sin. Like those are really good things. And so that is very true. That's what the Bible says that God is. Well, let's look at the next part. It says, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on, and iniquity is another name for sin, on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Whoa, I don't like the sound of that necessarily. And a lot of people don't like the sound of God judging us and you know, punishing our sin. We like the, the happy, good stuff, but not so much the negative stuff. And most people kind of tune God out at that point. But in order for God to really be loving, he also has to be just. They go hand in hand. You think about this. If you had a, a little kid and you see the dad and the little kid's dad, or the, the little kid and the little kid's dad out front and he's running out into the street. The dad goes and grabs the, the child and has to pull him. Well, that's probably going to hurt his arm. It's probably not going to feel comfortable. He may even get punished for disobeying by running out in the street. But he, the father does that not to exert his authority or say, ha ha, look, I'm stronger than you. I can grab your arm and pull you. No, he does it because he loves him. And that's where God's love and justice come together. It's, it's driven by love. And because God is holy, means he's set apart. So that's another element of God. God is holy. And I think the best way that I've heard to to describe what holiness is, is if you were, let's say you're a little kid and you know it rained today and maybe in the summer you like to splash in puddles or get your hands all muddy and you're playing outside, doubt you do this at this age, but just go with me on this if you're little. You go inside and your mom is there and she loves you. She has a nice clean white dress. Like there's no imperfections in this dress. It's nice and clean. Do you think your mom is going to be okay with you all muddy and dirty and soaking wet coming and giving her a big hug right then and there? You guys awake? No? Okay, you can respond. That's all right. No, I don't think so. I mean, maybe your mom's like doesn't care about cleanliness, which I highly doubt, but no, she'd say, no, I love you, but you have to stay away from me right now. Until you get clean... You cannot come and be close to me. We cannot have contact. And that's the same with God. God cannot have sin a part of him. Okay, it's like that white dress. Once it becomes dirty, it's no longer clean. It's no longer white. And so God has to keep that separation from sin because if he were to mix with sin, he would no longer be holy. And God cannot change who he is. He must be holy. And so... Um, we, that means it's set apart. Now, I've, I've used that word sin multiple times. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But we've talked a little bit about God. I want to get into man. Um, God created us, as we already talked about. And so because we are created, we are therefore accountable. None of us is autonomous. So 
if you were to make something, if you were to invent something, that creation would be yours. Now, God created everything in the entire world, including us, and so therefore, he owns us. You may not like how that sounds. You may not like the reality of that, but that is the truth. God owns you. And worship is something that he desires because you think about it, anything in this world that we worship, and worship is anything we give our affections and desires towards, anything we put our time, motives, and desires towards. If we were to worship anything other than God, we're actually worshiping his creation and not the creator. So if I was to worship an idol, okay, that's something that was made, that's a creation, I'm not worshiping the creator. And I don't think many of you have idol stands at home, but anything you worship, anything you put your time, affections, your, mo- your just desires towards, that's called worship. And so that's why in the Ten Commandments, God even has two different commands that are explicitly saying, have no other gods before me and don't have idols, because those things will compete with me, and I own you. I'm the creator. Only worship the one who created not the creation. So what is sin? I've said that word multiple times. If you've been in church, you've probably heard this before. But sin is anything we do, we say, or think that goes against God. So anything that violates God, his law, is sin. And so the first sin that was ever committed was with Adam and Eve, the very first man and woman. You know, God, everything was perfect. He gave them a garden to tend and animals to take care of. So the very first occupation sounds like it was a zookeeper. And so they're taking care of the animals. And he says, you know, you can have any fruit in the garden, of any tree, except for one. Because in the, if you do eat of that tree, you will surely die. And so life is great. They're walking around. They get to have daily walks with God. You know, it's, it's perfect. It's paradise. But then they, one day, the devil or Satan comes and enters a serpent and starts communicating with them and starts to cast doubt and said, did God really say? And it caused them to doubt, is God really good? Does he know what's best for me? And then collectively, they both took and ate of the one tree, the fruit that they weren't allowed to eat. And that was sin. That broke God's law. And that was the, the first sin that ever happened And ever since then, sin has been passed on. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But that was the very first sin that came in. And so you might say, well, what's the big deal? It's just a fruit. And, you know, when I do other sins, you know, that's probably not the best thing. But why is sin such a big deal? What's the problem with it? Well, first off, it breaks relationship. Now, it's not a lover's quarrel, meaning it's not just like God's up there, you hurt my feelings, I wish you wouldn't have done that, you know. You know, if you have two lovers and they're just like quarreling all the time, yelling at each other, like, oh, I don't feel like you today. Now I like, it's not like that. Relationship, though, is really important to God. In fact, like we said, that's the primary reason why he made us. And so if we are to maintain relationship, we have to be going along with God. Sin also separates. Like we talked about with the little kid and the mom, they can't be close because of the condition. When we sin, when we violate God, we are separated from him. 
Sin also rejects the care and authority. Um, God created us so he knows the best way for us to, to act. And so if he tells us to do something, it's not so that we have a burden on us. He's actually showing us the best way to live. And so when we go against that, we're saying, God, I don't care about what you have for me. I want to do it a different way. I don't want to go the best way. I want my way. And so we're rejecting his biblical care and authority that God has given us. Romans 5.12 talks about how sin introduced death. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, we talked about that through Adam's sin, and death through sin, death was a byproduct of that sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all have sinned. And so, uh, a chapter over in Romans chapter 6, it says, the wages of sin is death. You have a job or your parents go to work, they trade their time and their services for money. They do this and they get that. That's what you, if you have a job, receive for your efforts. You clock in, clock out, and then your business gives you money. That's your wage. Well, the Bible says the wages or the payment, the byproduct of sin, breaking God's law, is death. And death ultimately is just separation from God. It's not just like physical death. We're all going to die someday. But we're going to be separated from God forever. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a passage for just a moment. Romans chapter 3. We're going to actually look like eight verses there. Romans chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It should also be on the screen there if you don't have your Bible. It says, as it is written. So that's just as the Bible already has it written before. There is no, there is no one righteous, not even one. So right there, the word righteous means in right standing before God. There's no one that does right, not even one. So that, that includes all of us. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their, throats is an, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You might be asking, why did you just read all that? I want to show how evil, how sinful we really are. This is what God describes as our sin. That's some pretty strong language. You think of, if you do some study in that, you know, viper's venom, that's really powerful venom. All these things are demonstrating how guilty we are and how far away from God we really are. And you, um, the, if you know your Bible, oh, a couple of verses later in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, so just a few verses after what we just read, it even reemphasizes it. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So whether you like it or not, that's the condition we're in. You didn't have a choice when you were born. You were born a sinner. For all the people that say, oh, well, you're, 
you're inherently good. You don't really have any badness. In you. Well, the Bible completely contradicts that and says we've all broken God's law. We're all in offense against God. So some of you may have heard, like, well, maybe my good can outweigh my bad. Or, okay, I understand I've done some bad things before, but how many sins is too many? Because, like, I don't think I'm really that bad of a person. How many sins is too many? Well, consider this. How many lies does it take for you to become a liar? Just one, yeah. How many things do you need to steal before you become a thief? Just one, okay? You guys are kind of coming along with me. This one's a lot easier. How many people do you have to murder before you become a murderer? Uh, maybe like three. No, no, one. Okay? So if you, have, if you have broken in just one area, you're guilty. And that's actually what James chapter 2, verse 10 says. If a man sins in one area, he is guilty of all. And you say, well, that's not really fair. I don't really know if I agree with that. Consider this. Let's say you murdered somebody. Okay, obviously, we don't want anyone to do that, but let's just pretend that that was the offense that you actually committed. You weren't framed. You actually murdered somebody. You go to court. You stand before the judge, and you say, yes, the evidence is all against me. Like, it's clear I murdered somebody. Like, I can't dispute that. But I have never broken any other, you know, laws. I've never gotten a traffic ticket. I've never spent, like, got a speeding ticket. I've always paid my taxes. Um, I even have an A on my report card. Like, I'm a good person. Like, I haven't really done anything bad. Do you think that judge is going to be like, you know what? Of all the other murder cases, they had been, you know, they had been pretty bad people. For you, I'm going to make an exception. I'm going to let you go. Go ahead. You're free. Do you think any good judge would do that? No, because then they wouldn't be a good judge. You're guilty of that offense. And so it doesn't matter how many good things you've done. It doesn't even matter if you were the time person of the year, humanitarian of the year, won a Nobel Prize. If you committed that wrong, you are guilty, even just for one area. And so let's talk a little bit about the consequences of sin. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says... That sin separates. We've talked about that a little bit tonight. It says, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. So sin separates us from God. And he, he, it also says that sin prevents God from hearing your prayers. You might say, well, God always hears me. Not according to this, not if, not if you're living in sin or you have a lot of sin in your life. Or any sin. And then let's talk about the eternal soul's destiny. I mentioned that at the beginning when I was like seven or eight, I was considering this. But every soul has to spend an eternity. Your physical body will die, but your soul will spend eternity somewhere. And a lot of people don't like to talk about it. It's an uncomfortable subject. And maybe you've only heard this word used as a curse word, or you have heard of it in jest, like, oh, it's a fictitious place or something along those lines. But 
Hell is very real. In fact, when Jesus was on this earth and he was teaching about how to have a better life with God, how to be with God, he talked about hell quite a bit. In Luke chapter 16, verse 24, there's a man telling a story about, and he says, I am tormented in this flame. He's, he's suffering in the flame. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 42, Jesus says, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So these are people that are separated from God. This is where they have to spend life, in a place of wailing. You're so in so much pain, you have to just express it with a wail, like, ah. And then if you get tired of that, you go to grinding your teeth. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody grind their teeth when they sleep. It's the worst. It's terrible to hear that sound. Can you imagine having a whole choir of people around you grinding, gnashing their teeth? And then when they can't take that anymore, they start wailing again. And it's just a horrible, horrible sound. In Revelation, the very last book of the Bible where we have a lot of prophecy of things to come, Revelation 20, verse 15 says, And whoever was not found written in the book of life, so anyone that's with God is written in that book, but anyone who's not found written in that book was cast into the lake of fire. It's actually like a lake. It's, it's broad and expansive. When I was in college, um, during several chapels, we'd have this, this quote that was brought up. And it says, the most sobering reality in the world is that people are dying and going to hell today. That's the most sobering reality in the world is that people are dying and going to hell even today. So I realize this is heavy. That Mike pop kind of woke some of you up because it's just like there's so much tension in the room. And you might be asking, why did you just spend so much time talking about such a heavy thing or depressing me? Like this is not good news. We're talking about the gospel. This is supposed to be good news. That's what you said it meant. Well, good news isn't good unless you know what the bad news is. If you don't understand why this bad news is so terrible, if you just think, well, God loves everybody and, you know, I can live my life how I please and, you know, as long as my uh, good outweighs my bad, then we're, then we're good. Or, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not really concerned about sin. You're not going to really understand or appreciate what the gospel really is. And so we're going to take a turn from focusing on all the terribleness and heaviness of sin and talk, to, talk about what God did, how he demonstrated his love. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the way of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived according among them, lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as others were. So this says exactly what we've just been talking about. The consequence of our sin is death. And so verse one it says, You were dead, 
because of your sin. You were separated from God. And if I was to close the service right now, my time talking, if that was really the end of the story, we would be a very hopeless people. It'd be a very terrible night. I don't know that I could sleep because I do know there's good news. And the most wonderful phrase is said here in verse 4. Look at it with me. But God. I think it's the most powerful and amazing phrase. But God. Who is rich in mercy. Mercy is God not giving me what I deserve. So I've sinned, so he's withholding judgment. He's not giving me what I deserve. But God who is rich, he has a lot of it, rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, his love makes mercy possible, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses or sins. You are saved by grace. Grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve. So mercy is God not giving us something we should get, but grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve. So after we talked about all this sin, would you say that any of you is good enough to deserve favor with God? No. I mean, that's not just the Sunday school or church answer, but if you really consider it, there's nothing that we could manufacture in ourselves to erase our sin, because once we're guilty, we're guilty. There's nothing that we can do to erase or cancel that out. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he love has for us, has made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. For you are saved by grace. He has also raised us up with him and seated us, us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So let's go back to Adam and Eve again. When Adam and Eve first sinned, God sent them out of the garden, and he cursed them. He said, you all, from you, Adam, everyone's going to be a sinner, and you're going to have some different curses with that. But he also gave them a promise. There was death and life promised. He said, someday there's going to be a Messiah. And when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is like the promised one, the Messiah. And he said, the Messiah is going to be the one that I'm promising to you that's going to make all this right. He's going to do something that you can't do. And so from that point on, if you wonder why the Bible is so thick before we get to Jesus, the Old Testament, it's the gospel developing and getting ready for Jesus to come. Because they didn't know. They didn't know his name was going to be Jesus. They just knew that there was a Messiah, a promised one coming to make things right. And so that was the promise made to Adam and Eve. So let's talk about Jesus just for a moment. Many of you may know a lot about Jesus, and that's good, but he was born as both God and man, 100% God and 100% man. It wasn't like 50-50, and that's important because when he was born, you know, we celebrate Christmas, not necessarily in December, but that's when we recognize or remember it. He was 100% God, and we know that God is holy, so he can't sin. So Jesus never sinned because he was all God, but he was also all man. And so he went through every single thing that you and I go through, which is incredible because I'm 33 years old right now, and I think back over my life, and I'm not trying to you know, brag or anything by any means, but I've probably committed thousands, if not millions of sins over the 33 years I've been alive. 
If you study the life of Jesus, you know that he lived 33 years on this earth before he died, and he never committed one sin. And I find that just so fascinating, especially in this stage of life, just to think back on my whole life, that Jesus went through all the struggles, all the temptations and the things that I've gone through, yet did not break God's law. And so we already established that sinners, which is all of us here in this room and in the entire world, when we break God's law, we must die. That's the punishment for our sin, right? Okay? Jesus never sinned, so does he have to die? Did he deserve to die? No. Death comes to those who sin. Jesus never sinned, therefore no death was needed. But he willingly sacrificed himself. They didn't just kill him if he, he died on the cross, but he willingly gave himself up as a substitute. So he didn't deserve to die. We did, but he took our place. I'm sorry about the mic here. I don't know what's going on. But he willingly took our place by dying on the cross. And that wasn't enough because it's not just enough to pay for sin's penalty. He also had to be to conquer death. So he was buried and three days later came back alive and therefore can not just forgive us of our sin, but can actually give us life so that we can have relationship with God again. When God sees you, he no longer sees your sin. He sees Jesus for all those who have believed in him. And so we get to the fourth portion, the fourth section, as you see up on the screen, response, and that's belief. So the Bible makes it very clear in Mark 1.15, how do you, like, what do you do with the gospel? How do you respond to it? Well, it's repent and believe. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And the good news right there is the same word for gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent means to, ch to change how you think about something. To go, you're going one way, and you decide to go a different way. You've changed. You've turned and uh, gone a different direction. So that's repenting and believe. I'm sure all of you believe in gravity, correct? Yeah, I don't think you'd be here if you didn't, okay? It's a very simple concept, but the earth pulls us down. So if you didn't believe in gravity, you might afterwards want to go jump out a window, which would not allow you to, to go tubing. Or maybe tomorrow when you go tubing, you do some pretty stupid stuff there up on the mountain. Okay, All of you believe in gravity, and therefore your life is arranged around that belief. You act in a certain way because of that belief. If you believe in Jesus, your life will go in a different way. You won't just act the same way. You've changed your belief. You have a different set of thinking. To believe in Jesus requires faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing. You can't earn salvation. You can't do things because, remember, we already said any attempts we do is actually, you know, futile. The only way to have relationship with God is by believing in Jesus. It's so simple, but it's so complex, like we said. In Romans chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. Romans chapter 10, it says, 
in verse 8, the second half of the verse, this is the message of faith we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with his heart, resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For Scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Then verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all it is. That's as simple as it is to believe and have your payment for sin taken by Jesus so that you don't have to pay for it yourself. There's a story of the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, verse 30. It says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Saved is, you're saved from the damnation, the punishment, and brought into life with God. So that's the gospel, okay? We're going to scoot through these next ones a lot quicker. But I want to take a moment to say what the gospel isn't. And this might sound pretty simple, but there's a lot of false gospels out there, and one of which is called the prosperity gospel. And they say, oh, if you just name it and you claim it, say, God, I want this, he will give it to you. And you just need to sow a seed of faith, meaning you just need to demonstrate that you have faith, like give me some money and then God will reward you, okay? Sounds ridiculous, but you see there's lots of very rich people on TV that promote this, and you see a lot of big churches where that's basically the gospel that they preach. It's the good news of prosperity, not of Jesus Christ. And so God does want us to have joy and possessions and things, but that's, remember, we said he wants us to worship him, have relationship with him, not have relationship with other things. So the prosperity gospel doesn't add up. There's also the gospel of cultural transformation. Cultural transformation is like social, ju- social justice, um, equality, uh, making sure that there's peace, world peace across the world, maybe even digging wells or feeding hungry people. All those things are good. I'm not saying any of that is bad or I'm against that. But that cannot be our primary motivation to do those. You know, do you remember when the angels came down and told the shepherds about Jesus coming when he was first born? They said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men is the purpose of why Jesus came. Because Jesus is the only one that can give us those things. Remember, we're all sinners. (laughs) Any attempts at peace we have is going to ultimately fail. And so if we're just trying to be a good moral person, a humanitarian, ultimately, that doesn't add up. That's not the gospel. I want you to consider, if you're hungry, maybe some of you are right now, it's, uh, it's getting closer to 9 o'clock, and you say, ah, if I, if I said, okay, you have a choice. Played some games earlier. If our uh, final game for the evening, you have a choice. I have a bag of candy, which you can eat that, and that will fill your stomach. If you eat the whole bag of candy, your stomach will be full. Price tastes good for the first few bites, and then the rest of the bag will not necessarily be so good. You can do that, or you can do what my wife and I did the other night and go to Outback. We got like a 22-ounce porterhouse steak, shared it. It was amazing. We also had mashed potatoes, asparagus, a blooming onion. It was wonderful. Now, which one would you choose? Yeah, yeah, you choose this because that's what's ultimately going to satisfy. And so any attempts, like even though this might work for a little while, it's not going to give you what you really need. And if you go and help a lot of people, 
they're ultimately not going to know Jesus, and so they're ultimately not going to be satisfied or filled. Anything that tries to make the go- or present the gospel without the cross is not the gospel. Galatians 1.8 says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, a curse be on him. So he said, There's no salvation in anyone else, Acts 4.12 says, For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So there's no gospel out there if it doesn't include the cross, if it doesn't include Jesus, and that's the central part of it, that will save. If I had a knife or a sword up here and I was trying to stab or pierce something, not someone, but would you say if I, if I took a sander to it and I rounded out all the edges, would that blade be effective at that point? No, absolutely not. And so the gospel is difficult. We spent that time in here. And it was hard to hear how bad the news is, but also it was good to hear how good. A lot of people want to round out the edges and take out the hard parts. Say, oh, we're not going to talk about sin. We're not going to talk about hell because that's uncomfortable. We're just going to talk about Jesus. God is a God of love, which is true, but that's not the entire gospel. We can't round out the edges because the sharp parts are vital. So as we close, how does this apply to me? How does this apply Well, first, you have to ask yourself, do you believe? Like, not just know this stuff, but is your life actually living in the reality of your belief? Remember, it's very simple to repent and believe. You can even do that tonight. And then what are you doing with the gospel? And something else to think about. What are you doing with the gospel? Did you realize that we are God's plan for sharing the gospel? Uh, There's a story of a guy named... Uh, Cornelius and found in Acts 10. And he, if you look at Acts 10, he's a centurion, which means he's Roman and he's in charge of 100 soldiers. He's very religious. He's very, the Bible says he's upright. He feared God, but that's all it was. He was religious. He didn't know Jesus. And an angel comes to him and gives him a vision and said, you need to go find Peter Remember the, the uh, disciple of Jesus, Peter, that same guy? You need to go find him, and he's going to tell you more. He has a message for you. And so he follows all these detailed instructions this angel gives him, goes on a trip, and finds Peter. Peter had a similar vision, and then talks to him and tells him about Jesus, shares the gospel with him, and Cornelius accepts Jesus as his Savior. He believes. Do you think that angel could have given him the gospel? If he gave him all those, other infor, all those other details and pieces of information to help, find, uh, to help find Peter, he could have very easily given the gospel. But God has given us, as people, the task. It's not the angel's job. It's our job to share the gospel with others. And so, what are you going to do with the gospel? We talked about it tonight. Are you going to believe in it? Do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, or are you believing in another gospel, or trying to find another way to have peace in your life, or, or even peace with God? And then, are you going to share it? We'll talk about that more tomorrow, on how we share that, or, or the ways that we go about that, but does your belief actually change anything about the way that you live? I realized there was a lot of information tonight, and like I said, I may have raised more questions than, than provided answers, but that's okay. I really hope that as 
we conclude tonight and even go and have some fun tomorrow and have some more time in here, and even in the weeks to come, whether you go to this church, go to another church, or maybe you've never even been to church before, that's, that's totally fine. I hope that you are seeking because God promises anyone who seeks after him will find him if they search with all their heart. And so God wants to be known. That's why he created you and me. And so I, I just ask that you would consider, do I believe? If not, why don't I believe? And if I do believe, what am I actively doing with this information? Am I living like it impacts my life? Or if it's just something we talk about once a week or twice a week when I go to church, and that's it. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for loving us so much. There's so many different aspects of the gospel, of your love for us, that we could sit here for weeks and still be explaining and talking about new aspects of it. But in this, in this last uh, 40 minutes or so, God, I just ask that you would um, use that, that previous time that we just came through to help us love you more, to help us appreciate what you've done and truly believe in you. And I, know, I realize there's, there's people in here that they don't want to believe this or they might understand it, but your Holy Spirit isn't working their life. God, I just ask that you would work and that the Holy Spirit would convict, whether it be for the very first time that they believe or if it's a, uh, something they really want to get serious about. God, I realize I'm just a man. I can't make anybody do that, but I just want to be faithful to your word and present this and um, allow your word to go forward. You promise that it will not return void. It is effective. And so, yeah, God, I just ask that you'd bless the remaining time that we have this weekend. It's your name I pray these things.